Ephesians chapter 6. In your Bibles, we're going to talk this morning about parents and kids. So if you're here with your family, this is going to be absolutely fun. If not, whether you are the parent or the child in that relationship, you will have good ammunition to use later. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read there in verse 1, Ephesians 6, and if you're new with us, what we've been doing is walking through the book of Ephesians Sunday after Sunday, verse by verse, word by word. And what we do here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church is when we read the passage, we study the passage, we draw out from the passage the meaning, and then we explain that and then make a bridge from what the Bible says to what we should do about it. Alright, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says... Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let me read that one more time, just in case you haven't woke up yet. Ephesians 6, verse 1 from the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Or do not provoke your children to wrath. But, Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, or the loving nurture and the admonition, which is a continual loving teaching of the Bible of the Lord. So our main idea here is that the relationship within the family between a parent and a child, from the parent to the child and the child to the parent, please hear this, must be driven by grace and not performance. For example, the father who says, Son, it might not say it like this, but I approve of you, I love you, I show that I think you are special if you make good grades. That's conditional love. Or the parent that says to the daughter, Honey, I will love you. I will give you tender care and affection. I will provide for you if you do not drive me crazy. But if you get over the line, I'm not going to discipline you. What I'm going to do is exclude you from my love. Now, can we all agree this morning that that is conditional love and what the Bible says that we should avoid, whether parents or believers? Because we need to get something very clear right from the start. And that you and I have been born rebels. We've been, now that's not speaking of the Confederate Yankee division, alright? Because I have been informed that we are in the South. I'm like, but what, what about, you know, isn't Virginia, you know, further north than this? No, it's this, I've been informed very adamantly that this is still the South. We're not speaking of the North-South or the war between the states or the Civil War as some call it. But we're speaking here that we have been born with a heart that is selfish. Amen? 
And all the hypocrites are like, not me, brother, not me. It's you, and it's me. We've been born with a heart that is so selfish that it's kind of like this. When someone else tells us, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be there, and they're not, we want to stick them to the fire, don't we? We want to persecute, we want to, you know, we, we want them to pay, but if it's us, we've always got an excuse, right? We were born rebels with a heart that does not like God. In fact, biblically speaking, you might not hear this in some churches, but biblically, we are born with a heart that actually hates God. Now, we may not hate the God that we make up in our minds, a God who is full of love and would never punish sin, a God who's simply kind of like, you know, like you go to the mall during Christmas time, and kind of who do you see there on the bench? Right, you see Santa Claus and Santa Claus, oh, what do you want? You know, and the kid's like, I want a pony. Well, you're going to get one. And the parent's like, I will, you know, call in Santa out. I'm going to take, you know, I don't want to give it away for the kids here, but moving on. We kind of got this picture of God as this big Santa Claus type of character, don't we? When he just says, you know, be good for goodness sake, and if you want this, I'll give it to you. No problem about sin, but the God of the Bible is the one that we do not like. Because the God of the Bible demands that we give Him everything that we were changed. So, so not only do we have hearts that are naturally selfish in the context of a family, but we've been born into a world that has been fractured by sin. Guess what we were born into? We were born into a world that was fractured by sin. And guess what happened when we were born into this world? Guess who came into the world? You and I. And guess what our hearts are naturally geared towards? We're geared towards selfishness. So we were born into a selfish world, and here's another selfish person who's born into a selfish world, and it continues to get more selfish, and if it were not for the grace of God, none of us would live. Now at this point, some, some people say, now, now Jeff, I'm a kid, and my parents believe in Jesus. They are followers of Christ. Well, if that's you, you have an incredible privilege, because you're the minority. In today's world, if your parents... We're not talking about if they're members of the church, but they actually follow Jesus. If they love Jesus, if they pray with the family, if they follow Him in word and in truth, you're the minority and God has given you an amazing trust. You've been taught God's word. You can be a world changer. Now you say, now Jeff, I'm probably the majority. The majority, my parents are not saved. They are not born again. They might not even attend church. And we know that not everybody who attends church is saved. Amen? As I've heard it, y'all have probably heard this a million times before. Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. And just because you come to a church building area doesn't make you a true follower of Christ. You say, Jeff, my family was abusive. My family was dysfunctional. What about me? If that's you this morning, listen, God in His sovereignty and His grace can do an incredible work in your life so people can see the dysfunctional home in which you were raised, the alcohol abuse, the verbal abuse, the fighting, the distaste for everything that is right, and God can use you as an example of grace. To where when people look at your life and they say, if God delivered you from that, then He can deliver me from what I'm going through. And so whether, despite how we were raised, we all have to come to the table and say, you know what? If I'm a child to my parents, I have to give them grace because God in Christ has given me grace. If it's a parent, say, I must give my children loving admonition and correction, but it must be within the realm 
of grace. Amen, church? Because think of it like this. If we, if God treated us with the same level of ethics that we require other people to treat us with, for example, if that person talks bad about me, I talk bad about them. If someone crosses me, it's kind of like the, oh no, you didn't. And it's just kind of like they, people buck up and they get mad. And if someone says a word to us, we want to say two words back to them, right? If somebody slaps us, we want to punch them. If someone argues with us, we want to cuss them out. That is the natural reaction of the human heart without the grace of God. But for someone who's been saved, it's radically different. It goes like this. I was lost on my way to hell. God found me and God saved me through what Jesus has done on the cross. And because of His amazing work of the Holy Spirit, which caused me to be born again, to be made new, I am able to give grace to people in my family. And honestly, if God treated us the way that we treat some of our family, none of us would ever be able to go to heaven. Just ask yourself, is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? in your heart towards people in the family. This morning, Christ can free you from that. Say, now Jeff, when you're talking about parents and kids, there in verse 1, it talks about children. What age is that talking about? Well, technically, I looked this up, and the, the word here is technon, which is offspring. Doesn't have an age limit. whoops a days now, in America, we want to say, all right, children means 0 to 18, maybe 21, right? And then once you're past that point, really 25, because you can rent a car, right? It's always funny to get like a group of college students, you know, and they're like, awesome, they're going to take a road trip. Hey, road trip, road trip, man, road trip, independent. All right, we got to get somebody to rent the car. We can't, you know, it's just so, it's, it's, to me, it's very funny because they can't rent the car. So you take somebody who's 25 to 18, 21, that's American culture, but the text here, children, it literally means offspring of your parents. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about, does that always mean that you have to do exactly everything that your parents always tell you to do? We're going to talk about that. But right here in the text, it says children, and that means simply offspring. So, what are the offspring? Anybody y'all remember that, the, the band Offspring? Alright, two people are honest here. Moving on. Children do what? Children... Oh, y'all say this with me. This is, this is so fun because some of you, you're like in pain right now. All right, children, let's say it together. One, two, three. Obey. Wow. Was that, that was hard. Does that feel better? All right, look at catharsis there. Obey your parents. Wow. In the Lord. Now this word obey, it means, it means to hear them and to be subject to them. Oh. Oh, was that painful? A little bit for the students. It means, students, that your mother and your father, you should be subject to them because here's the reason. God has given parents to children so that the children will not kill themselves before they reach adulthood by stupidity. Alright? Now I'll give you a couple examples here in just a minute. If you write this down, this is an amazing cross-reference in the Bible. Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 12, in verse 13. The Bible is speaking when Peter was, God jailbroke him out of prison, and he comes to the house that the Christians are praying, 
They're all in there praying for Peter to be let out. And it says, and he knocked at the outside door and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer it. This same word, this is, this is so cool. It's translated coming to the door to answer. So, so, so you, you, you could say it like this. Children, when your parents talk to you, come to the door and answer them. Not, not physically speaking, but you know, sometimes isn't it easy? Like when you're growing up and your parents tell you to do something and you just don't want to do it. Can anybody identify with me on that? I mean, there's video games to play, and if you're younger, there's imaginary warriors to kill, and you know, there's 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 little imaginary you know uh, foods that you can fix, and all these things. And your parents say something like, "Clean your room." It's like, Mom and Dad, are you serious? Clean my room? Had you you did not get the fun gene, Mom and Dad. And when you're a kid, that's the way that you think, right? The younger that we are, I think this is biblical, the dumber we are. For, for example, when I was in middle school, I was raised in Louisiana. It was a Cajun area. You say, Jeff, what's the difference between a Cajun and a redneck? Usually a couple of teeth, not really that much. So I was raised in Louisiana and everybody was, was hunting and I was in, in middle school and I, and I wanted to go hunting with my friends. I, I was 12, 13 years old and, and I didn't really understand why my mom didn't want me and a group of six or seven guys armed with 12 gauges when we're 12 years old going through the woods, you know, squirrel, hitting the dirt, you know, shooting everything that moves. Back then I didn't understand why she wouldn't let me go without supervision. It seemed like I'm 12, 12 gauge, 12 years old, you know, I mean, doesn't that logically add up? But now I look back and say, if I had gone, I would have been killed or I would have been walking in with a nub because I would have lost my arm from getting shot. You look at things like um, parents are given to children to protect against youthful stupidity. How many of you, let me just see your hand this morning, your parents have ever said, don't play in the street. Let's ask the elephant in the room question. If children are naturally aware and able to survive on their own, then why on God's green earth did their parents and our parents ever have to tell us, don't play in the street? It's the street! There are cars, you know, kids are like, no, no, I, I would, I would hear, I would hear the car, mom. You know, like, you know, when we throw the football, I'm able to time it just right to where Johnny's able to get like right underneath the 18-wheeler and get it. It's so cool. We saw it on TV so we can do it. You know, it's just insane how, honestly, kids, your parents love you. It's not that they don't want you to have fun. It's that they don't want you to die. Parents will tell their student, do your homework. You know, Kids, it could be that your parent wants you to do your homework so that you'll develop godly discipline that will lead to when you graduate, you will be able to be a disciplined person who can hold down a job instead of losing one all the time because you won't ever do your job homework. Uh, also things like uh, clean your room. Um, let's, let's go into teenage years. Sometimes parents will give advice like, honey, I'm not really sure that you should date that person. 
You know, the girl, the girl brings home the guy and he's got like 666 tattooed on the top of his head. You know, and he's got like blood all over his jacket. You know, he, he's got, he's got, you know, tattoos like says, my mama eats nails and, you know, I eat my mama. It's just like, you know, honey, I, I think that you may need to, well, he's got a good heart. It's like, it's like, girls, listen, seriously though, listen. We're not, we're not saying that, you know, your parents, I have a friend in India, and it was uh, his his culture. I went to, to seminary with him. This is, this is an awesome story. This might not be politically correct, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, his family they, they would do the the arranged marriages, and so on his birthday, we took him out. And it was just the only people that were able to show up was like me and six other girls. All right, so so here's his his birthday, and and they asked him a question. They said, "Well, well, can the girl, if it's the prearranged marriage in, in Indian culture, can she say no?" And it was, he didn't mean it. It's kind of like a translation issue. He said, yes, it can say no. And I was like, it, it, come on, David, you, it was funny. You may have to be there. But you look at all of these situations, and I truly believe that we're not talking about parents who are, you know, like, you have to marry this person. If you do not, I will kill you. But could it be, could it be that our parents have maybe lived a little bit longer than we have, and they can maybe, like the dads, girls, like maybe your dad, since he is a dude, he can read dudes better than you because he is a dude and he's lived longer than you. So that means that when you bring the, oh, but dad, he's so sweet. We men are evil and we can use our words. That's what your dad is trying to help you out about, and then we're not even going to get you know into the other area, guys. You you bring a girl home, and and your parents just say, you know, we're not we're not saying that we're better than her, or we're not saying that that Jesus doesn't love her, but we're just saying that that we have a caution about this. I encourage you, I implore you to simply listen, to open the door to when your parents give you advice. The Bible says once again, obey, which is to subject yourself to give ear to their words. Because it's not that most parents want their children's lives to be hell on earth. They simply don't want their children's lives to be hell on earth. Does that make sense? I think of Jesus when he was 12 years old. Look at at the next phrase. It says, obey your parents. What's the next phrase? In the Lord. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was in the temple teaching. Now imagine this. You've got PhD guys You've got teachers, you've got professional preachers, priests and scribes, and you've got this 12-year-old boy, and they're all crowded around, hanging on his every word. Well, Jesus was there teaching, and his family had skipped out of town. They had left, and they're like, okay, well, I thought that Mary, you know, Joseph, well, I thought that Jesus was with Bartholomew's family. They're like, no, no, he's not over there. Well, I thought he was with Samuel's family. No, he's not there. So they go all the way back to the city, and they find Jesus teaching grown men. Now, let's just say, if that was your child, and you found him in a university or a theological seminary, and all of the faculty is sitting around taking notes from your kid, Chip off the old block right there. I mean, you know you would. You're like, that is my kid. But guess what they did? Mary, she comes in and she's, she's like freaking out like, Jesus, we couldn't find you. And, and we're going back to work at home and, and you're here. And, and you know what Jesus could have said? Um, don't you remember about 12 years ago, angel... 
remember coming to you, you'd never been with a man, um, kind of like miraculous thing, you know, virgin, angel saying you're going to have a child, maybe, dad, Joseph, do you remember when the angel came to you and said you probably need to, you know, like get out of town because uh, Herod's going to send guys to kill you and everybody in the, the city, do you guys remember that? Come on, man! He could have done that. But do you remember how Jesus responded to his earthly parents? He said, I must be about my father's business. Wow. If you were the son of God, if you were God in the flesh, and your earthly parents came to you and made basically a boneheaded statement, you know what some of us would do? We would totally use the God card. But I'm glad that we're not God. Amen? Jesus subjected Himself willingly to the parents that in God's foreknowledge and sovereignty had caused Jesus to be born into. So here's, 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 here's the theological connection here. That if Jesus willingly subjected Himself to His earthly parents, then how can we who claim to follow Him not also do the same? And notice this phrase, in the Lord. I think right here, let's go ahead and, and stop because there's an objection. Someone says, now Jeff, does this mean that I have to obey my parents if they tell me to do something that's wrong? No. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders told uh, Peter and the apostles, they said, stop talking about Jesus. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than man. Now, if your parent ever says something like, all right, what I need you to do here is I need you to water the marijuana plants we've got growing in our basement, all right? And after we cut some of them, I need you to take it in a bag, all right, and go to school and sell it to your friends and bring me the money back. The Bible's not saying that a child should obey something that's illegal. Or... If a parent, this is, this is a crazy example. I'm going to give you some that are real in just a few moments that you may not believe me, but they are. If you take a parent who says for their child to do something that's immoral, the child is not obligated under God's law to follow that. The Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord. You say, now Jeff, dude, my parents are unreasonable. They never let me do anything. Well, question, could, could it be that the craziness in our lives and the past um, mistakes that we've made, and the lack of maturity, could it be that our parents see that? And we're like, man, we told him that he could go down the street and ride his bike, and he ended up getting in a shootout with a gang five miles away. So we probably ought to say that you don't get to do everything. We're going to show, make you show us that you're going to be responsible, first of all. Could be that parents are trying to teach that. So here's, here's I think, biblically, here's what, a, here's what a student, here's what a child should do for their parents if they, need, if they want to do something other than what their parents tell them to do. You can appeal to your parents' authority. Say, look, mom and dad, is it okay if I, if I do this right now and come back and do my homework later? Or is, it, is there some way that I, can, that I can do what you told me to do, but do it in this way? Now, that does not mean trying to pit mom and dad against each other, all right? Parents, have you ever, you ever experienced that? All right. So here, here's what happens, right? The, the, the student, the, the kid goes to mom, and then you know because mom is mom is like the one you go to, and then mom says, "No, you can't, you can't go with your friends to this place." He's like, "Well, I'm going to go to dad then." And so then he goes to dad, and dad's like, "Well, yeah, I don't have a." 
problem with you going, you know, over to your friend's place. And, and then all of a sudden, he's heading out the door and mom's like, where are you going? Well, I'm going to my friend's party. And she's like, well, I told you you couldn't. Well, dad said that I could. Students, as bad as you may want to do that stuff, don't do that because what you're doing is you are trying to split apart the authorities that God has given to you in your life. And parents, we're going to talk about this in just a few moments. I am not a parent, but this comes from the Bible. Parents are supposed to be unified in their approach. So I think it would be a great little, little, little thumb for parents to say, you know what, if my kid ever asks one of us, we're going to go with the one that has the least or the most caution just so that we can be on the safe side. And kids, you will hate me for that, but one day you will probably thank me as your pastor. So you ask the question here in verse 3, or after verse 2, it says then, so you're supposed to obey your parents, but notice it says in verse 2, to honor your father and your mother. Now, honor means to show respect to them. It means to show them a high degree of regard. Because this would not be honoring your parents. If the parents tell you to do something and you're doing it, but it's just kind of like you're... So, you ever seen anybody and they don't say that they're angry, but you can tell by their driving and by their actions that they are angry? Like... I'm cleaning my room, just, you know, flaunching and flaunching everywhere. It's just, it's just, the Bible says to not simply obey what they tell you to do it, but do it in a way that is honoring to the parent. You say, now, Jeff, what if I don't? What if I just decide to say, you know what, this is not for me? I'm going to give you a few verses. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17 in the Bible. It says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be, this is grotesque, but this is in the Bible, will be picked, this is like, this is like the screamo verse in the Bible, will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That means that if a person continually disobeys their parent, they will more than likely meet an untimely early death. So Jeff, what if I do not honor them? Well, there's a couple of stories in the Bible. One would be Absalom. Absalom rebelled against his parents and he ended up dying earlier um, than he could have if he would have lived to a full age. Then he takes Samson. This is from Judges chapter 14. Samson went over to the Philistines. He found a woman who he really liked, but she was not a follower of God. He came home and his parents basically said, why can't you find a woman who follows God? And he said, this is the beginning of Judges 14, he says, she looks good to me or she is good to my eyes. Get her for me. And at that point, you see the life of Samson begin to go down, 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 down. You say, now Jeff, are, are you really saying that if I don't clean my room on time that I'm going to die in the desert and my eyes are going to be picked out by vultures? No. Unless you live in the desert. But, but, but seriously, the biblical model is that parents are there kind of as a protection for their children against all the things in the world. So if a child rebels and says, you know what, mom and dad, forget you, blank you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, you both are morons and you're idiots and I will never listen to anything you say. What happens is, is the, is the, the, the child removes themselves underneath that protection. Um, I know a couple of guys in Greenville. They're uh, 19 and 20 years old. They have totally rebelled against their parents. They were, um, last I heard, they were living in the basement of a female friend's grandmother, uh, having basically no money, no job, no way to get to the job because they were bad to the bone. I'm not listening to my mom anymore. I'm my own man. 
walking down the street, yo, with no job and with no money and a lot of absolute stupidity. The Bible says the way of the transgressor, the life of the person who continually who continually gives the bird to authority will be hard. Law enforcement officials can tell you this as well. Go talk to a police officer and say, do most of the people that you deal with, do they listen to the advice of their parents? And most all the time, it's no. So they don't listen to the parents and they go up on the ladder of authority and say, my mom can't tell me what to do. My dad can't tell me what to do. I don't hear, who is this cop? He can't tell me what to do. Boom! And you're in jail. I worked in a juvenile facility when I was in college. I go there on Sunday mornings and most of the guys there had a terrible and they would not listen to the advice of their parents even if the parents were there. Say, Jeff, what if I do listen to my parents? Well, it could be that they could save you from dying in your 20s from being a drug addict. could be that they save you from dying in your 30s from being a drunk. It could be that they could save you if you simply listen to them from going through a painful divorce. Are we saying that all people who go through divorce are rebelling against their parents? No, but the Bible is giving us guidelines to say that if you listen to the cautions of your godly authority, it will spare you hurt in life. You can spare yourself much pain by listening to the cautions of your parents. A couple other verses from Proverbs. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a man listen, wise man listens to advice. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Have you ever had a job with someone like that? Proverbs 20, verse 3, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof or separate from fighting, but every fool will be quarreling. Proverbs 28, 26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Proverbs chapter Chapter 10, verse 21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Do you know what I know? I know that there is so much that I don't know. And that for every believer in Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we should take the advice, at least listen to them, from our parents. Now all of this is countercultural, isn't it? Most, most of us in here this morning, the whole time, been saying, I don't like to hear listen to authority. You, you know, the whole, the whole new model of the family, <clears throat> right? Like the dad is not supposed to lovingly be the leader of the family. He's not supposed to lovingly self-sacrifice. The wife is not supposed to lovingly submit and follow that leadership. And the kids can do whatever they want to. The statistics prove to me that the biblical model is right and that the new one isn't. Say, Jeff, you're just old-fashioned. No, old-fashioned is when you make your own butter. I buy mine from Kroger. I try to be biblical. Amen? Alright? We're not talking about an antiquated mode of ethics. We're not talking about Victorian England to where the kid gets brutalized by the parent for simply not holding his hands right. But biblically speaking, the men lead by self-sacrifice. The women lovingly submit to that leadership and the children obey the parents. 
Now, we don't live in that kind of world, but I believe that God can make that type of family and raise them up in a community. So here's what the Bible says to the parents. Very quickly before we close, which those of you who have heard me preach for a number of times know that that is a statement with absolutely no meaning. So in verse number 4, it says, Fathers, here's what not to do, alright? Do not provoke your children to anger or wrath. Literally, don't exasperate them. You say, now Jeff, my kid is chewing, you know, or my grandkid is chewing the, 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 the furniture apart, does more damage than my dog and my cat combined, and whenever I discipline them, they become angry. We're not speaking of that. What the Bible's speaking of is taking discipline to the point to where the child doubts the parent's love. For, for, for example, um, this phrase right here in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says, it, chapter 6 verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what a, um, a word study says. It, it says that it's based on effective nurture through praise rather than threats. Here's what the Bible is saying to avoid. Do not verbally cut them down. Especially men, fathers and sons, do not make jokes about the son's inability to play sports, physical appearance, because the male ego, especially when it's young, is very, very fragile. Don't negatively motivate them. Like, if you don't do that, I'm going to kill you. Some of you are like, Jeff, I said that yesterday. I didn't really mean it, but... We're not speaking of discipline, alright? We're not speaking of negativity in terms of discipline. We're going to talk about biblical discipline in just a few moments. But what it's speaking of is that the, 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 by and large, the anger against what the child is doing should be the exception and love whenever they are, are following in truth and whether they're obeying, they know that my parent approves of this. Don't use fear-based tactics. For example, some parents will actually threaten self-harm to themselves if the child does not stop. That should never be the case. Uh, one of my friends who, who tutored in an inner city school in Fort Worth, he would get a, a cheap 25-cent clipboard. He had a rough crowd. I mean, I have to give, give that to Chris. And when they would just, I mean, the class would just be totally out of control. He's like, he's a big guy, but a big goatee, and he shaved his head, looked like a big biker guy. He said, I'd just take, once the class got out of control, I'd take that clipboard, and I'd just turn around, and I'd chunk that thing against the wall, and it'd explode into a thousand pieces, and I got their respect when they think that I'm more psycho than they are. And I was like, and he's like this big, strong, you know, dude. I'm like, I'll take your word for it, Hoss. I wouldn't hit across you either. But, you know, sometimes that's the way. It's like parents, well, you know, I, they won't listen to me, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to go psycho, you know. I'm just going to come in and start throwing stuff. But what that does is that teaches the kid that that's actually the right way to parent. Um, do not, especially with, with, with fathers and, and sons and daughters, don't use humiliation, okay. Um, I, I've, I've seen this before to where fathers in the presence of other men, will cut down their sons and daughters. And, and what this will do, it will cause two reactions in the sons. One will cause the son to the boys to say, well, I don't want to be around tough guy type of masculinity. And it will cause them to retreat into femininity. 
It will cause them sometimes, and studies have been done on this, that virtually all men who go into the homosexual lifestyle, not, not, not all, but, but, but a vast, vast majority, have had fractures with the relationship with their father, and they're actually, I don't understand this, but they said that they're looking for love from another man. And it will also cause, if not that, it will cause their sons to become very angry inside and become bad boy Bobby that we talked about two weeks ago. The guy who always walks around and says, you know what, I'm a man. I can punch harder than you. I can spit farther and I can stink worse and I can drive my car faster. It's just that kind of angry guy. And for girls, what this will do, it will cause a sense of insecurity. They say, well, if my father does not think that I'm good enough, then I've got to find some man who thinks that I'm good enough and she will end up going in the arms of any guy who gives her halfway attention. So if that's been, guys, if that's been kind of the description of the way you father, today could be the time to where God changed your heart. Amen, church? And we believe that God is a God of second chances. You say, you go home and say, look, I have been wrong. God has shown me that. I'm asking you that you would help me uh, when I start over. And kids are very, very, very impressionable. I know you know this. If kids see something on TV, they'll end up going out and trying to do the same thing. Um, there was VBS several years ago that I helped out with, and this little boy came up to me and he said, um, Are you married? And I said, No. Are you? And he said, no, I'm nine. That's illegal. I can't get married. You know, and it's just amazing kids. And then another time I was in VBS, this little kid, he came up to me and I was dressed up like Moses. Can he give a story? He just sat there and, you know, when kids look at you, they got that train of, of, uh, I mean, they're just like, they are trying to read you. And he just sits there and looks at me. And he said, are you God? I said, no, man, I'm not God, but we're, we're, we're talking about God. And there's a little kid named David, and, and in VBS we were talking about David and Goliath, and we're giving this story, you know, where David slung the, the stone, it's sunk in the... It's, by, by the way, the grotesque story, right? You know, kids are like, whoa, the Bible is violent. And the boys are like, yes! Yeah. And so, then he, the parents said that he went home, and he, he actually got, when they were eating at the dinner table, he stood up on the chair, he said, and David swung the stone to hit Goliath! He was like, re- Telling the story. Kids are amazing in the fact that they soak it up. So I want to encourage you, parents, or if you're not a parent yet, to prepare yourself, please hear me, to speak life into your sons and your daughters. Give them through your words, you know what, I care for you. I approve of you. I love you. Secondly, biblically discipline them. It says to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline, it can tend towards one of two things. One can be towards legalism. Have you ever known those parents? Right? They've got, like seriously, if they brought in their rule book, it would make a New York City phone book look like a business card. They've got so many rules, like they make rules upon top of rules. It's just like you could never, ever, ever, ever do everything that mom and dad says that you should do. And so that's when the kid's kind of like, you know what, I, I, I give up. And then there's the tendency towards leniency to where the parents say, you know what, it's Friday night. Come home whenever you want. Just don't wake me up. Sure. I mean, I don't want you to go smoke weed with your friends, but you can come home and smoke it in the house. Just make sure that I'm there so I can watch you. That's a real situation. Know the family. 
oh, you know what? It's not, it's not really bad that you get drunk. Even though you're underage, just, just make sure you do that here at the, here at the house. Not, 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 a big, not a big thing. There's a tendency before, towards legalism and leniency. You say, Jeff, how do I, how do, I do this? Like, how, how should I go about that? Search the Lord, and the Holy Spirit will give you the guidance. I remember when I was a kid, and my dad was going to give me a spanking. You guys remember that? Some of you? Right? All right? So it, it, it was the spanking. He, or you're getting a spanking. So I had, I had this idea. Um, I had the General Lee Matchbox car from the Dukes of Hazard, And I, I pictured the ping-pong paddle that my dad used might lose in a battle with the General Lee. So what I did is I put it on my back, in my back pocket and tried to just lean over and tense up really good. And guess what? It worked. That ping-pong paddle came down, pow, and in two pieces it broke. And in my little rebellious heart, I thought, yes. But what my little mind did not know is China makes a lot of ping-pong paddles. Every single day. So dad's got there's plenty more where that came from. So what the Bible wants parents to do is to lovingly apply discipline, but simply be consistent. Say, look, here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. And two, I think that, that parents, if you just realize that you're going to fail, amen? Children, don't use it as an excuse, but you're going to fail. The Christian life is a life of failure and God's grace coming in and picking us up and leading us to the next level. We fall again. God's grace. It is all because of grace. So because it's of grace, do not measure, please parents, your worth as a parent based upon how well sometimes you execute all of this, but just the fact that you establish guidelines that come from the Bible and you enforce those. So that's why the text says there in verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Finally, this is our last point, teach them the gospel. If you're a parent, if you're a single parent, or and this, is, this is even greater because you're, if you're a grandparent, got any grandparents? All right? This is what's so good. You can read them the Bible, right? Amen? And you can pray for them, and then you can feed, you can feed them red Kool-Aid to send them home wired, and just kind of say to your kids, pay back for when you were young, you know, have fun with them. It's an amazing thing that a grandparent can have an impact on a child. And I have a list of several things I'd like to get you to go through with me on your worship guide. And this is truths to be learned from an unloving or an uncaring parent. We have people in here, more than likely, and your parent, especially your dad, may have checked out where if he was there, he was abusive, he was an alcoholic, he was a workaholic. This is what the Lord can teach you from that. When my parents are angry, I'm reminded of God's loving kindness. When they are absent, I'm reminded of God's presence. When they are unconcerned, I am reminded of God's tender care. When they are misguided, I'm reminded of God's wisdom. When they are unjust, I'm reminded of God's justice. When they are selfish, it means your mom and dad doing their own thing and they don't really care. Or so it seems. I'm reminded of God's gift of grace. When they are out of control, when mom and dad are screaming and fighting and things are flying through the house, I'm reminded of God's power and of His sovereignty, which means His total control. I think the most out-of-control parent in the Bible was King Saul. Remember the story about King Saul? 
he had so much of an anger problem that he tried to kill his son Jonathan. Imagine if you were Jonathan. There's a story about Jonathan was there at the start of the battle and he asked his armor bearer, do you want to go with me? Just the two of us and take the Philistines on. There was a garrison on top of a hill and his, his buddy said, let's do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Do whatever is best for the Lord. And so they climb up this hill and they take on the Philistines, just two guys, and they kill 20 men. Then the Philistines begin to run. They begin to flee. And then Saul, Jonathan's father, began to come into the battle as well. Now if that were you and God gave you victory, you got the enemy in retreat. Here's what your dad does. He comes in after you. He didn't take the lead. And so Saul comes in to the battle. And then he makes this crazy rule that no one can eat any food. The battle is going on all day. It is, it is blood and guts, hand-to-hand combat. He makes this rule that says, if you eat, then you die. Jonathan didn't hear about the rule, so he found some honey and he ate it. And Saul was going to actually execute his own son for his son making, violating the legalistic rule that his dad made up that wasn't even in the Bible. Then later on, Saul was so out of control. This is how bad, this is how abusive the father was. He picked up a spear and he tried to spear his own son to the wall. Put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. You ever had a parent that was abusive? His dad tried to kill him. Then when Jonathan tried to ask his dad, Dad, why are you trying to kill David, my best friend? His dad tried to kill his best friend. Think of your best friend. Comes over to the house, your dad totally goes bipolar and tries to murder your best friend. Friend. Then you're trying to say, Dad, why? he's not our enemy. He's our friend. It's my, it's my buddy. And here's what he does. I'm not going to give you the literal translation of the Hebrew, but he called Jonathan his own son. Saul called Jonathan, you son of an illegitimate woman. And then he called Jonathan's mom a dirty word. Your father tries to kill you. Then he goes off the handle. He tries to kill your best friend, and then he calls you a son of an illegitimate woman, and then he calls your mother basically a female dog. What would you do? Most of us say that's when me and dad would rumble and only one would leave. But at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, the grace of God had so come in Jonathan's life that the battle was even more intense than it had ever been. Israel was losing. You know what Jonathan could have done since his dad was leading this battle? Say, when I led it, we won. Now that dad's in charge, he screwed up everything in his life so far. My dad is an A1 class loser. I'm just going to leave the battlefield and let that sorry sucker die. I don't, he, he, God, through this, is taking care of my rotten dad for me. But you know what Jonathan did? This is an incredible. He stayed on the battlefield with his no good, abusive, psychotic father, and he fell in battle in the same hill that his father did. Please hear me. Jonathan died an honorable death with a dishonorable father. That can only happen by the grace of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. So we come to this time of invitation. Say, Jeff, man, I I don't think I could do what Jonathan did. You're right. I couldn't either. If your dad or mom has not been there in the past, if they have been 
abusive or absent. The commitment for you here this morning is to say, God, I don't understand how to honor a dishonorable parent. But I'm asking you to help me. Help me with my bitterness, God. I want to be free from that. I want to forgive them from the heart. If they're still living, I believe you can begin to pray right now for them to be saved. Ask the Lord to just fill your life. Ask Him to give you the grace that He gave Jonathan. He could have left, but He stayed and He died with a dad who deserved nothing more than to be left. And that's a picture of the Gospel. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.